I'm going to be preaching to you this morning, that's why I'm up here, uh, about uh, a topic that I have been talking about for, for months and months and months, and it's just, uh, there's something else I want to say about it, and um, I, I really feel just a real kind of impression from God of the importance um, to, to continue to keep this at the forefront of our mind. And so I'm very excited, um, very excited to be preaching this morning. I'm not going to be long, um, but I want to, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to start there in a moment. I'm going to tell you a quick story. Um, there was a, there was an actor who was playing Jesus in a passion play. It was this giant production. Um, they had a couple thousand people that would come and watch it, hundreds of actors, and the, the, the guy that was playing Jesus, um, every time he would, he would be carrying the cross, they would carry it through the crowd of people, the audience, and um, so they could get a close-up look of what was going on. And there was this one heckler that had come who was uh, just not interested in it. He just wanted to cause trouble. And every time Jesus, this actor that played Jesus, would pass that heckler, the heckler would just uh, just start, you know, calling them names and just saying all sorts of crazy things. Well, well, one night he had had enough of it, and uh, Jesus, the actor playing Jesus, turned to the heckler and punched him right in the middle of the passion play. As you can imagine, the director was uh, not happy that Jesus was throwing punches. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that that um, that evening after the play, he called him over and he said, "Listen." He said, I can't believe you did that. I'm going to have to fire you. I mean, you, you can't be Jesus and throwing punches in the Passion Play. That's just, that's a, that's a no-brainer. I'm going to have to fire you. Your understudy is going to have to take over. And the guy said, listen, I'm sorry. I lost my cool. It'll never happen again. Just give me another shot. I, I won't let it get to me. I, I promise you. So uh, sure enough, um, the next night, that heckler was back just began to say all sorts of things and just ramped it up this time. And as Jesus was getting closer to him, he was, the guy was getting louder and he just, he said, I, 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 I promised the director I wasn't going to do anything, but I just can't, I just can't take it. And so he got closer and closer and he thought about punching him. He said, no, I can't do it. I can't do it. I need to ignore him. Finally, when he got close enough, the guy just said the worst, most terrible thing that you could say. And he looked at him and he said, I'll meet you after the resurrection. <laughs> So, how many of you have ever been just, someone just ticked you off to that point, huh? You didn't care if you were playing Jesus or not. I remember I played Jesus one time in a, in a play here, because I'm the pastor's son, and apparently I got picked every single time for that. And, um, and, and I, I, it was when we were, this building was half as big, and we were just building it, and there was an open um, the ceiling was open, and so that wasn't finished up there. It was just a ceiling of trusses, and there was no like car there was no plywood over it. And if you stepped in between the trusses, you go through the ceiling. And so I was supposed to, you know, magically disappear from the tomb and slide back behind this fake wall we had built and go up the stairs and come out on that ceiling. It would have been around where that balcony is, but that wasn't there and uh, come out, and the spotlight was supposed to hit me, but the ceiling wasn't finished because we were in the middle of construction. And so our lovely sound man at the time, who is no longer our sound man, if you know what I mean, he hit the cue for the hallelujah chorus too early. And I was just coming up the stairs, up the ladder actually, was there's no stairs. And I heard the hallelujah chorus and the spotlight hit, and guess what, Jesus wasn't risen from the dead. 
So I got up that ladder in my robe with my fake extensions and hit those trusses like I was walking on water, but my foot slipped off one as I ran across them. And I did a split, if you know what I mean, with my feet down and the truss, yeah, through the goalposts. I won't tell you what I said, but it wasn't Jesus-like, okay? <laughs> and at the time, I think it was Cleo or somebody was walking underneath, saw my legs come through, and heard something they shouldn't have. <laughs> yeah, of course, Dad was saying, get up and go be Jesus. But how many of you have ever been upset to the point where you just couldn't control yourself anymore? You know, the scriptures gives us all sorts of instructions on how we're supposed to walk out this life. All sorts. And um, I think in Ephesians it says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Hebrews says, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. There's so much instruction of how we're supposed to respond to what's going on in the world around us. And sometimes, at times, it seems like they're in conflict with one another. And sometimes, it seems like you never have the perfect answer. How many of you find yourself in a situation where, where you know that you should have a response, but you just don't know how to respond? Yep. And, 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 and I, I, I was looking through the Bible, and I said, I want to find... I want to just strip everything else away and just keep boiling things down to the point where I find the one single thing that becomes the way or the thing that I can hold on to when everything else brings confusion in my life. What can I hold on to and know that this has to be the way that I respond to people around me? And I found that. And we're going to read through this, and I'm, I, want to, I want to get to that. I, I, did, I forgot to do something that I wanted to do this morning, and I'm going to do it. Can you guys excuse me for a moment? If you are or have volunteered um, or are on our host team, since we've made that change, you guys have been wearing those fancy shirts, um, I want you to stand to your feet very quickly. You know what? Let's do this. Join me real quick up here. If you have helped on the host team, Will you give these guys a hand for me as they come? Have any of you been warmly welcomed by any of these people? Now, I want to say this to you, and this is from the bottom of my heart. We have received so much, so much good feedback from how you are warmly welcoming, and as people leave, how you are wishing them a great week and, and just genuinely greeting and loving people more than we ever, ever, ever have, exponentially more. Uh, we've received emails. We have received uh, written notes. I've received um, comments on Facebook, messages, text messages. People in person have come to me. We had a random secret shopper. I didn't know there was such a thing that came to the church a couple weeks ago 
And one of the things he commented on was how well you guys did a job. And um, it's his ministry. He just goes to churches and, and gives them advice on how they can be better, like a scorecard. And you guys scored so high. He even said at the end of service that it seemed like there were people on the host team intentionally positioned at the exits, which there are, <laughs> to, to welcome or to, to invite them to have a great week or to say goodbye or to greet them at the, as they left one last time. And he noticed that, which meant you guys were doing a great job. And so I want to say, I know my mom and dad want to say, and we want to say as a congregation, thank you for your hard work and your dedication. Come on, guys, let's give them a hand. Thank you so, so, so much. Some of these guys get here at, at 8.30 in the morning, and they don't leave till past 1 when they're done cleaning things up. Let's give them one more hand. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks. And Valerie and Jerry are the crazy ones that decided that they wanted to be outside serving coffee in the middle of the Florida summer. Now, that is dedication. Amen? Amen. All right, so we're going we're gonna to read 1 Corinthians 12. I'm going to set this up for you. Um, Paul is writing, he's, he's talking about the extraordinary gifts of the Holy Spirit throughout this chapter. He's talking about healing the sick, prophesying, speaking in tongues. Um, he's talking about the interpretation of tongues. He's talking about all these things that we believe are the desirable, kind of the desirable gifts within the church. So let's read just a little bit of this, okay? First one, now about the gifts of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or another, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everything, it is the same God at work. Now, each one, the manifestation of the Spirit, is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation. All these are the work of the one and same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. If you continue reading through this chapter, you're going to find then it begins to talk about the diversification of the gifts and how it unifies the body and how different people are gifted in different ways. And it's, it's just, it's a beautiful account of what God has afforded, the gifts he's afforded to us through his Spirit that we could, we could reveal who God is to the world around us. Um, but I want to go skip to the bottom of this chapter. We'll start in verse 27. It says, Now you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Now, when you read this chapter, I mean, if you could take one chapter and use it to describe, you know, the body of Christ and the gifts that we have, and the, you got the fivefold in there. I mean, this is a beautiful picture 
of how we, the body of Christ, can function. And the value that's found in these gifts. And I'm getting somewhere, so just hang with me. But I, I saw one of these gifts this week. Just God used me in one of these gifts this week to totally change a couple of people's lives. I had two different instances this week where I was up in my office counseling with people where God gave me a perfect picture of the situation or something that had happened in their past. And when I, when I talked about that and told them about how God had showed me that picture, one of them experienced freedom that they were looking for for 40 years because of something that God revealed. And they're beginning the process of freedom in their life because of something God revealed through a word of knowledge. They were blown away. They had no idea because what God revealed to me, they had not told somebody in, in their entire life, had never mentioned to a single person. God revealed it to me. So there's no way I could know. Then the other person that God gave me this picture of that I just began to speak over and what God had told me was so blown away that they had told the person next to them uh, something about it days earlier and gave their heart to the Lord. And then there was another young man that had come in, same situation. God revealed something to me um, that, that they had spoken to the person before they walked in this door. They came upstairs and God showed me that picture of their life. And I said, I feel like God is saying this. And they were totally blown away at how much God loves them. They were built up and edified and encouraged because God took time out of his day to speak to somebody about their life. I so highly value what's in this chapter and what it can do for the body of Christ. I have seen these gifts operate and just literally someone see freedom. Somebody come to Jesus because they were healed. Somebody just experienced love like they'd never experienced before because somebody had an accurate word of knowledge or prophetic word. These gifts were given to us so that we could reveal the Father to the world around us so that we can encourage one another so we could build up and edify the church. But after Paul writes this, he gets to the bottom of this chapter, and he gives us a little like, I don't know, like a, he just quickly takes a left turn on us. Because in the bottom of this chapter is one sentence that doesn't even have a number in front of it. It doesn't even look like it's a verse. It's really the intro to the next chapter. And it says these words, and yet, so he spends 20, 30, 31 verses talking about how the church is supposed to function, the spiritual gifts, the gifts of the spirit that have been poured out on us, the fivefold ministry, apostles, teachers, pastors, evangelists, all of these things he talks about. And after all of this, he says, and yet, I will now show you the most excellent way. What did you just show me? Because that looks pretty good. But he says, and now I will show you the most excellent way. This translation, which I love, I pulled it up in the first service, says, but now I want to lay out a far better way for you. A far better way than speaking in tongues, a far better way than a gift of prophecy or the gift of faith or the gift of knowledge, a far better way than, than, uh, than the interpretation of tongues, a far better way than the, the, than the healing gift. What could be far better than all of this? 
what could be the most excellent way after you read this? And then he proceeds with a chapter that's quoted more at weddings than anyone else, commonly known as the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. And now let me show you a more excellent way. And he starts with this. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, in other words, if I have these spiritual gifts that I just talked about, and I don't have love, I am like a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. The, the, the gong and the cymbal in this case didn't just symbolize Don hitting the cymbals too hard, okay? It was more significant than that. It was more significant than that. This actually symbolized during the day there were temples to other gods, gods that don't exist. And they would have gongs, they would have symbols in the front of these temples. And when they would come in to worship the god, they would hit these gongs because the noise would wake up the god. And so it was a way of letting the God know, we're here, we're here to worship you. And it would wake up the God. So what he's saying is he said, you can speak with the tongues of men and of angels. You can have these spiritual gifts. And if you don't have love, he says, you're like those worthless people who hit the gongs and the cymbals to wake up gods that don't exist. Then he says this. Verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy, I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. This chapter in context of what he just wrote about brings a whole new meaning because he literally just took these things and talked about how important they are as gifts operating in diverse ways in the church amongst believers and in government and fivefold government over the body of Christ. He's literally taken a chapter, 31 verses, to talk about how vastly important these gifts are to the kingdom of God and the body of Christ, and then says, Oh, and let me show you the most excellent way. If you have this gift, and you don't have love, you're just like those guys at the temple hitting the gong, waking up gods that don't exist. If you have the gift of prophecy, you can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. You're the smarty pants around here. But you don't have love, you're nothing. I got thinking about this. What if I, I walked in just this perfect gift of all knowledge, I could solve all mysteries, and I had the greatest gift of prophecy that mankind had ever seen? Going in to nations, solving their problems, the mysteries of the world. Men would flock to me from everywhere and bring me these great things and I could solve their issues and problems. Great prophetic gift. People coming to know their destiny in God because of my great prophetic gift. Never mind, I don't care about them. I don't, can't stand being around people. Get me out of here. Just let my gift exercise itself. You can buy my tape in the back. It's under the book section of the gifted one. <laughs> I won't be back there to sign your books because you have diseases. And I don't want them. 
if I had all of those abilities, if you had all those abilities, and yet love didn't accompany it, the Bible doesn't say, well, you still got a lot of people saved. You still solved a lot of mysteries. So you're pretty good. You're just lacking one important thing. It actually says you're nothing. It's as if you don't even have those gifts. Then it says, if I have the faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. First Corinthians 8, 1 Corinthians 8.1 says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Yeah, maybe that's why I've, I've taken on the pregnancy belly in sympathy for all of you pregnant ladies out there. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Do you know, we, we, we really, really, really have tried a lot of ways to try to build people up, and most of it has failed miserably. Because we're trying to do it in a way that totally steps around the main point, and that is God's love. You know, a lot of people are really worked up right now over this controversial ruling from the Supreme Court of the United States. And this is not why I'm preaching this. I've been preaching on this for eight months. But I want to encourage you one thing. Stay out of the fray. We're not politicians. See, only three of you are clapping. Let me tell you why three of you are clapping. I'll just have to go there. I might be fired after this. That's okay. <laughs> Only three of you are clapping because you've taken the bait. You've taken the bait. You've allowed yourself to get, you've allowed yourself to get sucked into taking sides of a war that doesn't exist. The war has been won, and we are the victors. And his banner over us is love. Listen, the Supreme Court of the United States doesn't change what Jesus did on the cross. You can put nine lawyers in a room. They're never going to do anything, right? So it has nothing to do with the Supreme Court of the United States or anybody else. They can light the White House up black for all I care with, with, with terrible signs. I don't care about any of that. You know what I care about? That we have won the war. We are the victors and that God's banner over us is love. What I care about is that I'm not going to fight for something that's already been won. And so if you take the bait and then you do a, a word search on, gate, on, on Bible Gateway for homosexuality or redefining marriage or whatever else, and then copy and paste those scriptures to your Facebook and hit post, you take the bait. But I'm right. I'm right. Yeah, but your neck is like this in the trap, like a rat, and you're going, I'm right. Romans 8, 2. Read it. It's right there. Oh, my gosh. 
What's happening to me? Why is everybody being so mean to me? Why did I just lose 100 friends? I don't know what's happening, but I'm right. Look, it says it right here. I'm right. How's that working out? You can't, you, I'm not making a political statement this morning. I'm making a religious statement that has to do with the identity of who we are in Christ. We were born to love this world. He came to love this world. It has nothing to do with what anybody else says. It has to do with what's been afforded to us in one on the cross of Calvary. And we as the church must stand up and respond the way we are, have been asked to respond. Why? Don't get mad at me. The most excellent way, the most excellent way is love. That's it. But I have all knowledge of scriptures. Have you done a word search on this? Do you know what the Hebrew word for that is? Do you know this? Do you know that? Do you know that Jesus said this? You know that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it all. You've told me 1,953 times. But what I know is the most excellent way that's just, it, just, it takes everything else and pushes it to the side for a moment is love. So if you're looking for a statement, because I've seen all my pastor friends out there writing blogs and trying to not offend this group, not offend this group, and, and try, to, try to side on the, you know, with this, but at the same time not alienate people that are searching God and they're trying to just walk this fine. I don't have to walk a tightrope. Do you, know what, do you know where I'm standing? I'm standing firmly on the foundation that is the love of Jesus Christ. There's nothing else to talk about. Because it's the most excellent way. Does it mean that we, we don't do what's right? Does it mean that we don't train our kids to do what's right? Does it mean that we don't look at what God's instructed us to do? Of course not. For you to think that's what I'm saying, it's silly. But what I'm trying to show you is, I know some of you are massively confused on how you should respond to what's happening in our culture and society. I know some of you have wars going on inside of your mind. I know because you, you post one blog on Facebook that's on one side, and then 10 minutes later, you post another one on the other side, and you don't even know why. Because when you read the blog, you're like, that's it, that's right. And then you read another one that says the opposite thing, and you're like, that's right. Because we don't know how to respond as a culture. We are not prepared prepared to respond to these things because we have we have for so long perpetrated and 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 made the church believe that they have to always take an us versus them approach i put on my facebook yesterday um, that uh, uh, you, you can see it, but I put in there something having to do with we won the war and that's not us versus them and how we're fighting, uh, we're victorious, we don't have to fight and all this kind of stuff. And one of the things they said is that we're all, we are all called to be children of God, sons and daughters of God. And I had a gentleman who I respect very much, who's a local pastor, who put on there, we're not all sons of God, and quoted First John, and mentioned that if you don't believe that Jesus is, is the Lord, that you're a son of Satan, and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and I just deleted him, because I don't get in arguments with people. I, I, I didn't delete him. He's alive. 
I deleted his comment, and I'm still friends with him on Facebook, so no one get nervous. But I just deleted him. This is what I want to say. We were all designed in the image of him. We were all fashioned in his image. We were all called and predestined before we were born. The Bible says he knew us. To say that you're, they're not, they, you know what the difference is? They're, they, they're, they're unreconciled sons and daughters. They are wandering out there unreconciled sons and daughters. And they're waiting for somebody to show them what the father's love looks like for them to come home to the father and say, I want this. The difference between you and I is we've been reconciled. That's it. That's the only difference. Sons of Satan. I got something for you. You know why? Because then you literally turn over entire population segments of our society to the will of the enemy. And I refuse to see people go to hell because we're stupid. I believe we can reach every person with the gospel. I believe every person will respond to the love of Jesus. I believe what Sister Deanna said, that love never, ever fails. That it always, always will overcome and will conquer anything. If we have faith that can move mountains, but we don't have love, I'm nothing. I, I said this, I wrote this down. Faith is of no value unless it's inspired by love. You can have the greatest faith, but if it's not inspired and coming from a heart that is full of the love of God, it means nothing. Amen. In other words, I believe that you're going to get healed because I love you. I want to see you get healed. Amen. Not because I'm hoping you'll contribute to my ministry if I heal you. See what I'm saying? I, I want to see your finances turn around. I want to see this happen in your life because I love you. Because I believe God's called you to not struggle. I believe that God's called you to be well. I believe that God's called you and destined you to, to be happy in your life. To have a mate. To have a family. To have all the things that you've dreamed for. That's why I have faith for your life. That's why I want you to have faith for my life. If it comes from and inspired by my love for you and your love for me. Then that faith has great power. But if it doesn't, if it doesn't have love, then it's nothing. And the third verse says this, if that's not enough. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. Now, some of you gave your 10% this morning. We appreciate that. Very much. Some of you gave 15%. We appreciate that 5% more than we appreciate the 10 percenters. <laughs> what we do. But doesn't mean we don't appreciate the 10%. But if you gave everything you had this morning, and we would take it, as a side note, we will come pick it up, <laughs> free of charge. We have two box trucks. They'll be there at 1235. <laughs> if you gave everything you had this morning, everything, but you didn't have love, as beautiful as a sacrifice it would be, as amazing and inspiring as it would be, if you didn't have love, it's nothing. 
Galatians 5, 6 says this. It says, the only thing that counts is faith is expressing itself through love. So spiritual gifts, all knowledge, great faith, great generosity, and sacrificial giving, all of it without love amounts to nothing. I'm going to tell you this story and I'm going to be done. There was a missionary, his name was Doug Nichols. And he was a missionary to India. And he went there with tracts and a bunch of literature that was in their language. And he wanted to witness and win those, those folks, those nationals there in India to Jesus. And when he got there, very soon after he got there, he got tuberculosis. And he was put in what they describe over there as a sanitarium, but it essentially was a quarantine hospital for TB patients. And they, and they quarantined him away from the population, stuck him with nothing but tuberculosis patients. He was in this giant um, hospital um, dorm. There were beds on both sides, as far as the eye could see, TB patients close together. Every, every, he was so upset because he would try to share Jesus with the TB patients because he thought, well, I'm here, so God must have me here because he wants me to share Jesus. And he was ineffective. They didn't want to hear anything about it. Some of them were dying of TB. They were stuck in this smelly, nasty, terrible, with terrible conditions, this hospital. And they didn't want to hear about Jesus. And he, and he felt so down. He said, here I am. Nobody wants to hear about Jesus. They don't want my tracks. They don't want the Bibles they brought with me. They don't want what I'm bringing to them. And I've got tuberculosis, and I'm in this nasty hospital. One night at about 2 a.m., he started to, uh, to cough, as often happens with tuberculosis. It would happen. About 2 a.m., he'd start coughing. One night, he began to cough. And he, woke him, he was woke up, and he looked over, and across the room from him was an old man about 90 pounds frail, dying of tuberculosis. And he was there, and he was rolling, and he was in the, kind of in the field position. He was trying to get enough momentum to get out of the bed. And Doug was too weak and too sick to care. So he went back to sleep. And the next morning, that man, that 90-year-old man, had soiled himself in the bed. The nurse, and you could smell it in the air, and the nurses came in. They were so upset. This guy didn't get up and go to the bathroom. Doug watched as one of the nurses slapped him across the face and scolded him for soiling this bed, having to clean up after him. Well, that very next night, about 2 a.m., 2.30 a.m., Doug began to cough again. Woke himself up. He looked over, and that man, same thing, just trying to get out of the bed to go to the bathroom. This time, Doug said, I, I'm just, I can't take it. I can't watch him get abused in the morning again. I, I'm just going to get up and help him. So he goes over and he wraps his arms around the old frail man and the man couldn't walk. So he picked him up like he would a baby. And with all the strength that he had, he carried him to the bathroom, which was nothing but a hole in the ground. The man was too frail to even squat over the hole. So he held on to him as he, as he did what he had to do. And then he cleaned the guy. He put him back in his arms and he walked over to the bed. What Doug didn't realize is that the commotion of picking up this man had woken up a bunch of the patients. And they had watched him as he carried him to the bathroom, helped him in the bathroom, and brought him back out. The next morning when he woke up, 
there was a crowd of people around his bed wanting to read those tracts and wanting to know who this Jesus was that he talked about weeks earlier. The story goes that there were hundreds of people in that TB hospital that came to know Jesus, including the nurses and the doctors, because that night, Doug put his tracks away, Doug took his Bible, put it up on the shelf for a moment, and he stopped and he loved that old man where he was at. I want to propose this to you. There really is a most excellent way. And in the middle of great confusion in our own culture, in the middle of vehement debates over flags, over marriage, over health care, over our foreign policy, over all sorts of things, in the middle of all of that, with the veil of confusion that sometimes is in our way, there is one thing that pierces through it and that clears the way for people coming to know who Jesus is. And it's his love. I read this when I was preparing for this, the quote, some of you may have heard it, but it said, People don't care about what you have to say until they know that you care. They don't care what you know until they know that you care. I messed it up. They don't care what you know until they know that you care. Yeah, I just wonder this morning if, if we just, we need to refocus back on who we are and what God's called us to. And to step out of the fray of whatever war is being waged from whatever sides and realize that we are not in the middle of a war, but we have been provided with one of the greatest opportunities that the earth has ever seen for us to reveal who the, what the Father's heart really is for humanity. See, while some believers are running and scared and buying their supplies, for the apocalypse and digging their bunkers. We, the harvest, will be known as those that are on the front lines, loving, embracing every hurting person. Regardless, it is the most excellent way. And it never, ever, 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 ever fails. This is a perfect setup for my message because our friends back there live this. Like you can't believe the stories. They didn't have time to say it, but the stories of they literally go and find the children that nobody wants, that literally people are throw away like they throw away a Coke bottle they're finished with. And they receive them with open arms and love these children. Some of them that have, they, they know unless God performs a miracle are going to die. They love them. They pour life into them. They embrace them. They live this message. And I want to challenge you. We can live it too. You may not be in China, 
but you've got people every day you can live this message with. Stand to your feet. I consider this kind of a golden scripture. I consider this this moment at the end of chapter 12 to be a moment in the Bible where everything just stops and God puts hits the reset button to refocus us on what the most important thing is. And I want to do that this morning. I believe that in the spirit, God wants us to reset our minds to not falling and taking the bait of the trap and getting involved on a side or a political party or whatever it is and realizing that we are above any political party or any debate, but God has given us the victory and armed us with the most important weapon the world has ever seen, and that is love. It conquers everything. So this is silly, because it's me, and it's going to be silly. I want you to hold out your hand like you have one of those staple. Just one hand. I said hand. You guys don't listen well. I said hold out your hand. And imagine a reset button in your hand, like the Staples reset button. Now, if you've fallen into the trap, this is going to reset. If you allowed yourself to get into the fray, when we should be above that fray, this is going to help you reset. If you've allowed yourself to get into arguments, allowed yourself to be alienated by people, this will allow you to reset and refocus. So we're going to do this. It's a prophetic act. It's a strange one, but it's one. I want you to take your other hand, the one that I told you not to use, and I want you to reset that button. Hit it. Now, some of you reset by slapping, apparently. It was more of a press, not a slap, but that's okay. I'm sure it works for you. Who resets like this? Is that how you reset your phone? Let's turn my phone off. So let's, apparently I'm very particular about how we do this. As we reset that button this morning, let our minds refocus on this and yet the most excellent way is love. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you that you loved us first. God, we thank you that above everything else, your love stands. And Lord, if we've fallen into the trap, if we've allowed ourselves to get involved in a a political war between parties or people or groups, Lord, let us realize that we stand for your love and the power that it has to change lives, to rescue people. And so God, we receive that love this morning in our own lives so we can pour it out to the world around us. We realize this morning that your love is the most excellent way. It pierces through every wall of confusion, through every political spin for anything, God. It pierces through it, your love. So God, let us be carriers of your love this morning as we leave this building. In Jesus' name we pray.